So first things first, we're reading here in Isaiah um, in chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 7, um, and then we're going to dive in. Um, if you have a Bible, mine's different, but uh, chapter 9, verse 1, and it starts off to say this. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light is dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot in battle of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And this is what I want us to focus on tonight. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So first things first, right, we're reading from Isaiah, and Pastor Joe already gave us a little bit of background, right? Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah was a major prophet, okay? There's, there's major prophets in the Bible, and then there's minor prophets, okay? Um, and a prophet, if we didn't know, is somebody that is called by God, that is pre-selected by God, chosen out of the people, set before the people, and God directly speaks to his people through the prophet. Right? So that's what the prophet did. Okay? That's the position that Isaiah is in. Okay? And as a prophet, prophets of God primarily did two things. They foretold and they foretold. Okay? So there's a difference between foretelling and foretelling. Foretelling meaning that we warn or rebuke a behavior or, or something that God doesn't like or doesn't approve of. Right? Or foretelling meaning telling about future events. Right? And so here, as Isaiah uh, uh, writes down what he's telling God's people, he's telling about a future event that is to come. Right? Um, so that's the position that Isaiah is in. Now, prophets, okay, it's a glorious thing to talk to God. But often the message that prophets brought to God's people were very, very unpopular. Right, And time and time again, if you read the Old Testament and read the old um, the stories about the major prophets and the minor prophets, God's prophets were ostracized, right? They were outcasts of society. right? That's the position that Isaiah is in right here, right? And he starts off by saying something extremely controversial, which is going to give us our context for um, the uh, for the, the next couple names that we're going to talk about for Jesus here, right? And, and he says, But in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations, right? Now, Galilee. Understand something about Galilee. In the nation of God, right? 
there, it, it looked like this. It looked like a big U, okay? And Galilee was at the northern tip of God's territories, and then the rest of it was surrounded by hills on this side, right? Hills and mountains, and then a big body of water on this side, okay? So Galilee was the place, naturally, where if an army or a different nation wanted to attack and come into the land of, of God's people, right, they had to not go through the hills, right? They had to not go by sea. You know, what are they going to do? Take a boat all the way around, and then that's not going to work, right? So they would go through Galilee, okay? And, and as they would go through Galilee, it was the first place that they would hit, and the army was strongest, right? And they would destroy it time and time and time again. And then the nation of Israel, right, they would defeat the, the invading army, and then the, the invading army would run back, and the last place they hit would be Galilee, right? And I don't know about you, but, but I think something even worse than an invading army is an army that has been defeated and is retreating and is angry, right? So time and time again, what I want us to understand is that Isaiah is saying that God is going to bring honor to a, to a city, to a town, to a nation, to his people, right, that has no honor and has never had honor. That's an unpopular message, and that's the predicament that Isaiah is in here, right? Um, yeah, Galilee was the first and last place that people thought of to be saved, right? Um, and yet, God makes Galilee the place and ground zero for the divine invasion of Jesus, right? Um, but how, right? How is this going to happen? And this is where I want to focus in, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. All right, let me stop right there. He said, a child. He said, a son, right? He said, a human male is going to come. What on earth is a human male going to do? Right? That's like saying, my next kid, and my wife is pregnant. If you didn't know, I have a kid on the way. That's awesome. Love her so much. She's glorious. Yeah. Yes. That's like saying, my son that's going to be born in May is going to save Gloucester City. Right? Let's just throw that out there. Or my son is going to save the world. Right? Let's say that. That's like saying... For, for Isaiah to say that Galilee is going to have honor again, that's like saying, by, by a male child, right, by a male human, that's like going to say the, the North Pole is going to have a firestorm tomorrow, or the, the sea is going to be turned all into land by a fish, right? It's ironic, right? And, and as you can imagine, I'm sure people that heard this were like, are you serious? Give me a break. Galilee, what has ever come out of that town? Right? But what I want us to understand is that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Right? And I've been in so many situations, in so many circumstances, where things seemed impossible, where I was at wit's end, where I had experienced so much pain and suffering that I was like, forget it. Why would I even want to continue? But then God made a possible way. Right? So what I want you to think of when we're thinking about Galilee is an impossible situation made possible by
by the most holy God in the form of not just a son. Okay? All right. So now we're tracking, and um, that's going to bring us up to speed with what Ben told us last week. So Ben told us last week that uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. Right? Ben reiterated to us that he's going to have all, wis- all wisdom and all power. Right? And he's going to be one with the Father. And he's going to be wise. And he's going to have all knowledge beyond compare. And that we can take comfort in the fact that he's our Savior. That's what Ben told us. And then tonight, i got three simple points for you. And we're out of here. Um, and the first one is, he is everlasting, he's a father, and he's a prince of peace. Okay? Um, can everybody say everlasting? Everlasting. All right. Let's try this one more time. Can everybody say everlasting? Everlasting. Everybody say father, father. and prince of, prince of peace. Awesome. Okay? Those are my three points for tonight, and I'm going to tell you about them. As, as we break down God's word here and see what the Lord has to say about his son, right? What Isaiah has to prophesy about this male human. Males have messed up almost all of history, right? Um, so the first one, right? He's everlasting, okay? Synonyms for everlasting are endless, never-ending, perpetual, timeless, enduring, boundless, Right? He's going to be everlasting. Jesus is going to be everlasting like, like a, a permanent marker. Right? Jesus is going to be everlasting like a tattoo. Right? It's permanent. Jesus is going to be everlasting like a scar. I have a scar. I had my appendix out when I was six, and it still hasn't gone away. You know, some, Something magical in my brain keeps telling me that every night when I go to sleep and wake up in the morning, it's going to be gone. But it's still there, right? Um, God is everlasting. And, and, and permanent, right? He's throughout all of eternity, right? But what I really want us to focus in when, I, when, when we hear um, everlasting is, is that Jesus is constant, right? Um, Jesus is constant in the way that he's been there throughout all of time, past, he's here now, and he's going to be in the future, right? He's constant, and he has to be constant, why does he have to be constant? Why does he have to be constant? Because me and you and everybody here and everybody in town and everybody in the world lives in a society of unconstants and changings. Right? We live in a world of inconsistencies. Things that we buy on Christmas are going to bring us happiness for a couple months. You remember when you were kids and you woke up on Christmas morning, and you got the toy that you wanted the most. For me, it was a PlayStation, because I'm part of that younger generation. I wanted a PlayStation so bad, and I woke up actually on Christmas night, and I did what any smart kid would do, was I went under my parents' nose, and I opened the present a little bit just to peek and see what it is, and then I taped it back up, right? (laughs) Then I put it back under the tree. Oh, man, nobody ever did that? (laughs) Right? And then I went Christmas morning, I opened it up and I played it for two months straight. But guess what? After that time period, it might as well have been on the bottom of my toy box. Right? And that carries into adulthood. You know? I just bought a new TV because I needed one. I went to Best Buy. Well, actually, I didn't best, 
go to Best Buy, but it was a gift, and I got it, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever, and I watched it for an hour, and I was like, all right, I ain't got time for this. I got to turn it off, right? <laughs> you know? Because next year, guess what? They're going to come out with another 8K or 12K TV, and people are going to want to throw away their TVs that they have and get a new one, right? We live in a world full of inconsistent relationships, a world full of inconsistent material possessions, a world full of inconsistencies, right? That's why Jesus has to be constant. He has to be everlasting. And I'd love to say this. Jesus has created every single person with such a need for him that he's created everybody with a little God-shaped hole in their heart, right? And I tell kids this all the time so that they can understand their need for something greater than themselves that's not fleeting so that when they die, right, they're not just left without God, but they're left with God for eternity, right? Um, Everybody has a God-shaped hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. And that's what Isaiah is telling us by saying that he is going to be everlasting, right? Only God can fulfill our longings for him, for something more, anything less, and we're feeling empty, right? Second point is he's also a father, okay? I'm a dad, and I'd like to think I'm a good dad. I hope so, okay? Am I a good dad? Not sure. I hope so. Super sincere. Um, <laughs> um, but as I, as I reflect on what it means to be a father and, and growing up having a father, I'd like to think that a father primarily does three things, right? Not only is Isaiah saying that uh, uh, Jesus is going to be a father in one in the Trinity, but he's also saying that he's going to be like a father to us. And as a father... Right? I'd like to think that a father does three things. He, uh, and I want you guys to repeat this for me again, so uh, pay attention. It's a father is concerned for us, he cares for us, and he corrects us. Everybody say concerned, concerned. Cares, cares, and corrects. corrects. Awesome. The way a father is concerned for us, I'd like for everybody to think if they've ever encountered a time where a parent didn't understand, where your parent didn't understand the thing that you were going through. And for me, it was in my teenage years when my parents had no idea some of the things and some of the struggles that I was encountered with. Jesus isn't like that, right? Jesus knows every single thing that we've gone through, that we will go through, and that we're going through now because he's been there and done that. Because on Christmas Day, God sent Jesus down to be born in a barn, right? To be born in a manger next to farm animals, next to some cows and some sheep. And if you've ever been to a farm, it doesn't really smell that great, right? And, and it's, it's not the best place for a baby to be born. He was born in Bethlehem, which is a poor town. His parents didn't have no money. His mom was ostracized as an adulteress. And he was born into a broken family situation. Jesus had a stepdad, right? And he was born into this, and he struggled with that through his life. And he worked a job, right, where he worked hard for his money. And his whole life, he experienced ups and downs, mountains and valleys, joy, peace, 
happiness, nervousness, anxiety, fear. And he experienced as a human what we experience all the time, day to day. Jesus knows what we are going through because he's been there and done that. In the same way, as a father, he is concerned for us. He is concerned for us because he knows what his sons and daughters are going through, and he helps that through them, not just by yelling at them and by giving them a bunch of rules through the Bible, but by having a relationship with them so that we can go we can go right now and we can just pray to God and say, God, help me, right? That's the way this perfect father is concerned for us, is he's been there and he's done that, and he's with us and he's for us, even though it's hard sometimes, right? Moving on, he's a caring father, right? He cares for us, and he cares in the way that he provides for his children, right? He cares by the way he meets our needs and the way he withholds things that we don't need, right? Now, as a parent, everybody has had to withhold something from their child, oftentimes. For me, the most recent example I can think of was when we just moved into our house, and it was a wreck, and it's still a wreck, still needs a lot of work, right? But we experienced love in the way that Christy baked us uh, about 30-some cookies. Uh, I, I think there were snickerdoodles, if I can remember, and then she had like these little marshmallow men. They were amazing, and I had almost every single one of them to myself. Um, they were so good. But Joe brought them over at about 5 o'clock, which is a little bit before dinner time for us. And he brought this beautiful tray of gorgeous-looking cookies, the most perfect things that I've ever seen in my life on a hard day of work. And she put them on the table, and then my daughter came over, and she came walking, right? And she, she ran over with her little short legs, you know? And, and she, she peered over the counter, and she said, ooh, that one, cookie, cookie? And I couldn't say no, right? My daughter loves cookies, okay? I picked one up, I gave her a snickerdoodle. She gobbled that thing up so fast. But let me tell you, as soon as she was done with that, she asked for another one, right? So me being a father that cares for my daughter, that doesn't want to ruin her dinner, I had to tear that little girl's dreams apart and I had to say no, right? And she was upset, she was. She had a little bit of fit, a little bit of a fit, but she got over it, right? In the same way, God provides us with what we need for the day. My daughter needed a smile on her face. And I was able to give that to her. In the same way, Jesus provides just enough daily for what we need. Do you remember when the Israelites were in the desert? Right with Moses, and they were wandering, and there was no food and no water. They were in the middle of the desert where things die, right? Yep. And, and the people of God said, God, you led us all the way out here just to die? Are you serious? Come on. And so God, being the caring father that he is, came down and said, listen, guys, I'm going to provide for you bread in the morning, and in the morning, you're going to wake up, and it's going to be called manna. You're going to wake up, and you're going to go out and collect it all for yourselves, but don't take extra because every morning when you wake up, I'm going to provide for you new, fresh, refreshing, nourishing bread for your soul. And that's what God did. They woke up every single morning 
and they collected bread for their daily needs. That's how Jesus cares for us, right? Not only that, but he gives us enough grace for us daily. Not too little so that we have to work our way up to God. That's not how God works. He's won the battle already on the cross and give us enough grace so that, so that we don't have to earn our way up to heaven, right? And not too much so that we can just say, oh, you know what, God's got me covered and do whatever we want, right? There's two opposite ends of the spectrum, but he cares for us enough to withhold the things that we don't need and give us the things that we do need, right? Last one is, well, not the last point, but within this is, He's a father that corrects us, right? He disciplines his children. When they go astray, there's consequences, but there's forgiveness, right? Recently, um, and I work at an after-school program in Camden with, uh, with kids first through eighth grade, and um, first through eighth grade, and I have teenage staff. <laughs> So I see every age group every single day, and it's an adventure. Um, recently, I had a kid who I had to suspend. You know, his name is his name is George. I love him to death. He uh, he rides the bus home every single day with me as I drive, and as I drive, he he's constantly talking to me. Love him to death. I just have a mental image of him in my head right now. But I had to suspend this kid, even though I love him a lot, right? Because of his behavior, and. He did this behavior, and I said, George, at the end of the bus ride, George, I love you, but you're suspended. You need to take a day off. And he was so mad. He started throwing stuff, kicking stuff, throwing papers, kicking the bus, seat, kicking the bus seats and everything, and he went into his house that night upset, a crying child, I'm sure, right? I'm sure his mom was upset. Came back the next day. He knew he was suspended. He said, Mr. Dillon, can I come? I said, nope. Sorry, buddy. I love you. Come back tomorrow, right? He went home. And then he came back the next day after he was suspended, and he didn't do that behavior anymore, right? Discipline is painful and upsetting, but it's necessary for our lives to look as beautiful as he created us to be, right? It's like going to the dentist. You know, the dentist, and I hate the dentist, but they use all kinds of nasty stuff to, to clean out the garbage and the gunk that's between our teeth, right? They use drills. They use needles. It, my brother, he's 10 years older than me, told me that they used to use pliers, which is just, like, insane to me. I couldn't even think of that for pulling the tooth. Like, that's insane, right? Out of all the pain that comes from, at least for me, for going to the dentist, there's another thing that they also do, and that's they make your smile look beautiful, if you need new teeth, they put them in, right? They clean them up to make sure they are beautiful and holy. And just as they do that, God disciplines us and guides us in the right direction so that we can live beautiful, holy lives on purpose for him, right? Um, God is like a dentist. That is awesome. <laughs> Last point of the night is um, he's a prince of peace, right? Um, in other words, in other words, he's a son of a king, right? A prince like Prince William. A prince has fame, right? A prince is 
is gorgeous as Prince, as Prince William, you know? He, he's got all the followers. He's got the biggest Twitter account. He's got the biggest Instagram account. He's got all kinds of friends on Facebook. He's got everything. He's famous. He has honor, right? And, and in Jesus' case, Isaiah is telling us that he's going to be a prince of peace, okay? So he is going, as a prince, he's a minister. He's an administer, of peace. He's going to bring peace to his people. Okay. Now, if you're a normal human like me, okay, um, you have, you can say, okay, Dylan, how has Jesus brought peace on earth when there is war, when there is suffering, when there is pain, when there is starvation, when there is diseases, and there is all this stuff that we have to worry about in our world? Where is Jesus? when cancer is infecting the bodies of children, right? Where is Jesus when my friends are stuck in addiction, right? Where is Jesus when my spouse is unfaithful, right? Where is Jesus in those times? I've had a recent time in, in, the, past, um, in the past couple years. I had one of these moments. I was at the after-school program again, um, and what happened was, I did my bus route, I took all the kids home, and uh, we got back, and it was just me and my teenage staff, about seven of us, and we're, we're hanging out in the gym, shooting basketball, we're about to leave, and then all of a sudden we hear bang, 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 right? And so we go and we look out the gym door, and right across the street there's a guy just laying there, right? Laying there in a pool of blood outside a funeral home, outside a funeral home. Later, we found out, as we watched the news, a guy came up and pulled a gun out and shot this guy at his grandmother's funeral. Wow. Right? I had one of these moments. But as I sat here and as I reflected on what Isaiah is calling Jesus, I was reminded of the type of peace that Jesus is going to bring. The peace here that Jesus wants to bring is not focused on political tranquility, right? The peace here that Jesus is to bring is not focused on physical safety, right? But the, the peace that Jesus wants to bring here is the peace of our hearts, right? And here's what I mean. I, I took sociology classes, that was my major in college, and I took a lot of social movements courses, and, and we basically studied society and how it works, and, and all kinds of other stuff, and why people groups act the way they do, and why individuals act the way they do, and, and why, um, yeah, X, Y, Z, right? And, and I sat in these courses, and what we would discuss is, okay, the world will be a better place if we implement this policy or the world would be a better place if we have more welfare, or the world will be a better place if we have less welfare, or the world will be a better place if we allow gay marriage, or the world will be a better place if we don't, right? And so we argued across the board, and what the other students and my peers would do is they would argue back and forth what would make our society better. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, Lord, what would you say about this? And as I asked that, the thought came to my mind, that broken people 
can't fix the world. Broken hearts. People with broken hearts can't help but equate that to a broken system. The system is never going to be perfect without the peace that Jesus offers. The peace that Jesus offers heals our hearts, and that's what we're after. Because when our heart is healed and we're offered peace and peace with God and we're forgiven and we can cast our cares and our sins on him and we don't have to worry about, about our, our pains and our sorrows because, because we have a community of believers that's praying for us. When Jesus offers us his peace, right? he has a community of believers that, that are praying for you that are here on Sunday nights, that are going to share a meal together, that, that, that you can open his word and you can, you can read his words and see what he has to say for you, that you can kneel down anytime or you can speak out anytime and have a conversation with the most holy God. That is the peace that God offers, right? That is the peace that God offers in heaven and here on earth. And let me tell you, I bet if that man with that gun had experienced the peace of Jesus in his heart, it would have been a different story. We can't fix a broken society with broken people. We need Jesus to come and die for us and invade our lives so that we can have peace in our hearts and cast that onto others. Right, And as you can see in verse 7 as I end, the dominion will be vast. His kingdom and its prosperity will never end. He'll reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Jesus is passionate about his plan. He tells Isaiah that, listen, Isaiah, tell these people that I'm passionate about what I'm going to do. I'm passionate that I'm going to bring my human, fully God, fully man, son, into this world, born into poverty, born to die on a suicide mission, so that we can have a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father and a Prince of Peace that is here to save us. And so I ask us this Christmas season, as I close, on Christmas morning, are you going to be passionate about the family that you're going to see? And that's, that's great. That's great if you are. But is that going to be the main focus? Our Christmas presents going to be the main focus is having Christmas dinner and worrying about who's cooking what side dish going to be the main focus of your Christmas? Or is your Christmas going to be a sweet, sweet, sweet reminder of what happened on Christmas Day 2017 years ago when a child was born to us and a son was given to us for our benefit? Um, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for everything that you give us. Uh, Father, help us this Christmas season 
to not just, be, not just remember, but celebrate the fact that you have come in the form of our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting constant father who cares about us and, con and is concerned for us and corrects us. We thank you that, um, that you came and that you're our prince of peace, Father, so that we can have peace in our hearts and have a relationship with you. Lord, allow us to be as passionate about that on Christmas Day as you are about us. Lord, we love you so much. In your name I pray. Amen.